0: In his church, a large church, in the Sunday a.m. service on the church media library ministry. Now that tells you the kind of preacher we have this week, you see. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention would be willing to give a Sunday morning service to this ministry? Well, pardon we would be sitting pretty is exactly right now since that time that's been some 17 years ago he has been handling my garbage ever since (laughs) you see he had just moved from the parsonage to a beautiful home on top of one of those mountains around chattanooga and we bought his garbage disposal Uh not disposal, compactor, yes, okay, and it's still working. all right. He was telling you, yes, excuse me, uh, and he's not, all right. uh, He was telling you yesterday about some of the things he has in his home. I want to tell you that it is an experience to be in his home. I love to just walk from room to room and just look. You cannot believe, I mean, a collection of beautiful things from all over this world. And I'll never forget the first time he showed us his new Chinese furniture in his bedroom. A Chinese bed, a Chinese chest, Chinese this and Chinese that. And I said, well, Dr. McIntyre, the only thing you lack is a Chinese woman. (laughs) Dr. McIntyre has one son, excuse me, by the name of Robert, but the best thing about Robert is Chris and Sean. Uh, A few years ago, uh, Ralph brought... Chris, who was about 10 years of age, and Sean, seven years or so, and uh, Gigi, one of his daughters, and her husband, Keith, they had just, just, just got married, and so he brought the two of them and these two boys out to Glorietta in a brand new $30,000 van And he took us for a ride all over those mountains for a few days. I was supposed to be working, but I had a good time traveling around out there. And uh, little Sean, he seven years old, so uh, he got up against a pine tree and got pine tire on his pants and got it on the seats of those brand-new $30,000 van. Now, he was just about ready to kill him right then. Then the next thing you know, little Sean tore the screen out of the window in that van. (laughs) He was really mad then, I'm telling you. Then he took Sean to a local store in Santa Fe and bought him a brand, brand new pair of white tennis shoes. Any grandfather ought to know better about grandchild white tennis shoes. But he threatened him with his life if he got them dirty. So we took off on a trip uh, up in the mountains, and we stopped along the little stream, and we were just walking around, hiking, having a good time. And I looked up at little Sean, and the tears were just flowing down his cheeks, just really in bad shape. And then I looked down, and there he was, standing where a cow had been. (laughs) Well, Keith and I did our best to hide him from his granddaddy. We tried to clean those shoes in that stream, but oh, I believe if we hadn't have been there, he'd been minus one grandchild today. <laughs> and then he had a has a daughter, Candy, and uh, she has two boys and one girl. I mean, he has a lot of grandbabies. Last night, he called one of them because this was, yesterday was her first day in school. Now, that's the kind of man we have speaking to us. He loves grandchildren. And he was talking yesterday about some people who uh, are giving. Let me tell you something. We're hearing a man who is giving. It was just Sunday that uh, I admired his time. Oh, I said, that is really beautiful. It looks to me like that you'd give that to an old retiring person. There it is. <laughs> Dr. McIntyre, I sure do love those pants you have on <laughs> Sue, his Sue was a wonderful person. wonderful person. And Evelyn and I happened to be the very last persons outside the immediate family with Sue before she died. I'll always be grateful that we had that wonderful experience that day. And then... My dad passed away in June. And who should show up a 300-mile trip from Nashville just to be by our side but Ralph McIntyre? He's one of the most giving, caring, loving persons I've ever known in my entire life. That's why I love to hear him speak. He practices what he preaches. Dr. McIntyre.
1: Thank you, James. There's a one-tie limit. And the pants don't enter into the race at all. Isn't it good to be at Ridgecrest? Now, you know, a lot of times we come to Ridgecrest and there are 2,000, 3,000 people buzzing around and we're shoulder to shoulder with folks and those are exciting and good times. But I'll be honest with you, I am enjoying a quiet campus. Isn't it nice? And the weather's perfect. If you don't think it is, go find a television somewhere and see what's happening south of us. (laughs) This is absolutely perfect, and it's wonderful, and I'm glad to be here with you this week. This morning, I want us to look at some verses of Scripture from the 47th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Now, when was the last time you spoke from Ezekiel, or that you sought to share some truth from the rich well it is ezekiel well if you haven't been visiting with us brother lately you need to wise in many ways and he gives us some wonderful truths the 47th chapter of the ezekiel book and i want to read uh oh verses about one through six and then nine as the focus for our thinking this morning The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate And he led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. Now, I'm sorry, any of you folks from the north, how many times the Bible does speak and make reference to the south. (laughs) And don't forget that Paul wrote and said you all, on any number of occasions. All right. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. Then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and he led me through water that was up to the waist he measured off another thousand but it was now a river a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no man could cross and he asked me Son of man Do you see this? Now the ninth verse Swarms of living creatures Will live Wherever The river flows There will be large numbers of fish Because the water Flows there And makes the salt water fresh So Where the river flows, everything will live. So, where the river flows, everything will live. The 47th chapter of the book of Ezekiel is essentially a book of measurements measurements that have specific and definite meaning and as we prayerfully study this 47th chapter we can discover some unusual and wonderful measurements that apply at least symbolically certainly spiritually to different facets of our own personal lives in This chapter and in the verses that I have read it is the description of a man with a measuring line and a thousand cubits is roughly about a quarter of a mile it would be equivalent to a standard about three city blocks and the description that is here given is of the measurement of that line going ever deeper out into the flowing river. And the source of the water flow was the temple itself. The water was coming out from the house of God. And as it flowed, it got deeper and deeper and deeper until it was so deep that it was an enormous swimming area and the description was then given everywhere the river flowed things lived have you been to israel or to jordan and you see the winding jordan river Not far from the river it will be brown and barren and desert-like but close on down to the river where water is able to reach it there will be a green path if you don't like the rain that we're having uh, are the heavy fogs around Ridgecrest just remember if we didn't have this we wouldn't have the beautiful trees, and it would be just like the Sahara Desert. Now it's nice to fly over the Sahara Desert and look down on it. I don't think I'd really want to live there. I'm sure you'd have to be born there as a nomad to know the life that uh, is there, and it does teem with life. the The desert, even though it appears to be empty to those of us who. Who like uh, something a little greener and a little fresher but the source of the rivers flow was from the house of God and that's significant as we seek to understand this and here was the measurement a thousand cubits about a quarter of a mile about three city blocks and the uh, the water just came up to the ankle point and he measured another thousand cubits, and there the water came up to the knee. And he measured another thousand cubit, and the waters came up to the waist. And as he watched, there was another thousand cubit measurement, and he said it was a river so big, uh, why it'd be even difficult, he said to swim in, because the swiftness of the river, and its deepness there. Now, this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful symbol for us. And the spiritual lesson that you and I must draw from this is that where the river flows, life results. Jesus is the source of all life. Jesus himself, as the very temple of God, it is from Jesus Where the river of water flows and you and I then are not simply to stand back and look but we are to acknowledge the fact that we have a part in being certain that the dry places of the world find the water that flows from the Son of God the first level was down there at the ankles Now these pesky, ugly grandkids that I've got that James was talking about. (laughs) By the way, that oldest one will be 20 this Friday. Um, I've taken the grandkids a lot of times to the beach, not as often as they want to go. I happen to be living now in a condominium in Nashville, been there for a few years, and I bought one where I can walk right out my front door, right across the walkway into the swimming pool. Now, if you don't think my grandkids like where I live, you've got another thing coming. Cause they come through the patio, the back door, and say, hi, granddad, and they've already got their bathing suits on, and they head straight out that front door and right out to the swimming pool. Well, when I get out there with them, the water level moves up, you know, several feet. I displace quite a few tons of water uh, when I get out there in, in, in the pool. But when, when they're little, and I've got some that are still little, the newest one's just uh, about three months old now, uh, when the when the little ones come, they always we always make sure they play around down in the shallow end. You know they've got more little kind of gizmos and gimmicks now for the kids, these things they put on their arms that inflate you know that, that keep them that's that's nice and all the little things that are the safety features. but I don't know, Granddad's still pretty skeptical and when if I'm responsible for him and and out there. We sort of stay up there in the shallow end, and that's, that's pretty much the best place. But it is an exciting and a wonderful day. It's worthy of several photographs being taken. When the kids feel that they're big enough, and when we feel they've been in it long enough to where they can venture out of the shallow and get on over into the deeper water, and where they go down they touch the bottom they come up and they say it's over my head granddaddy and they're as happy as they can be they're out where it's deeper and then if you don't watch them they're sneaking across that line you know right in the middle of the pool to get out there really where they're not supposed to be yet now none of us want our kids to spend all of their lives down in the shallow end of that swimming pool. There is an appropriate time for that. And there's a time when it's dangerous to be farther out into the deeper. So there's an appropriate time to be where the water just comes in there over the ankles or maybe even up to the knees, but for safety's sake, of for any number of reasons, not to go much further than that. But now, when, if, if Chris were to come to see me, he's my 20-year-old grandson. And if Chris stayed down in the shallow end, and he's taller than I am. And if he'd just stay down in the shallow end of that pool and say, just sort of kick the water around a little bit. And say, I don't want to go any deeper than this granddaddy. I'd say, hey son, get on out there because you see, it's not appropriate to stay all our lives in the shallows, when by development and discipline, we ought to be getting out where the water's a little bit deeper. Now there's a marvelous picture, I think, of life itself in that. There are far too many of us, all of us, me included, who still kick around where the waters of life are just ankle deep, when by discipline and by work and by study and by prayer, we ought to be out where the water's a little deeper and trying things we haven't tried before spiritually and digging into areas we haven't dug in before intellectually and academically. You see, the wonderful thing about a week like this and the conferences that are available to you is the fact that, that if you arrived at Ridgecrest Saturday or Sunday uh, and in your particular work in the church media center that you know mentally that, well, I re- don't know much about this. I'm really just at ankle. The water's just up over my ankles. That's about as far as I'm comfortable with. But when you get home, well, you see, you're going to be comfortable with the water up a little higher It's your knees or at the waist. And some of you have been swimming around in this pool long enough that you're out there where the river's broad and wide and you can really splash around. But isn't it sad when there are people who are 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 years old who still mentally and socially and emotionally and Spiritually, are still splashing around like little kids like little babies there by the where this just ankle deep some folks are like that as far as friendships are concerned i heard a man say one time that if in the course of a lifetime you can count five good true friends that you have had in your whole lifetime, you're blessed. When I heard him, I was a kid when I, when I heard that, and I thought, that's silly. I know more people than that already. But I didn't know what he was talking about in terms of the quality and the depth of friendship that's real and true and deep, and the interchanges of life. There's that old story of the of the folks who live side by side and each one of them happened to have a maid and um, the word came that that one of the maids that lived on the side had died and so the lady that the other maid uh, was working for told her said now whenever the funeral is scheduled said you just plan to go said because said I've I've seen you uh, out in the back, across the back fence, a lot of times you've just been laughing up with storms that I just know you're good friends, and, and, and I want you to know that you've got the time uh, to do what you need to do about her funeral and death, and so on. And and this maid said, well, said, uh, I thank you for that, said, I'd like to go to the funeral, but said, yeah, oh, yeah, said, said we we laughed a lot of times together. But that we really weren't good friends, you know you're not really good friends till you cry together. There's something in that. In the matter of friendships, in the matter of the, the development of the mind, in the matter of our social interchanges, in all of these things, the need here, the, the spiritual picture here for us is that, is that don't be satisfied with just kicking the water around your ankles and that's all but there needs to be a desire on our parts that that we get out where it's a little bit deeper in these experiences of life if the desert is ever to bloom and there's a lot of desert area around the area where you live It may be pretty and lush and green as far as the eye is concerned, but there are a lot of desert hell holes in every place that we live. Most of us don't have to go a block away. We certainly don't have to go a mile away. Certainly in most of our downtown areas, there's an awful lot of desert. There are hell holes all around us of people who are struggling to try to find some kind of meaning for life or to escape from life and they're really living in a desert. And what they need is the water of life. And where's the water going to come from to them? Through us. And so we need to be dissatisfied if we're perfectly happy to splash around and have our own needs filled without looking around us and realizing that there is a need for us to go deeper so that the area in which we live can receive of the water that flows freely. We need to go deeper in consecration, seeing the challenge that's around us and having the conviction that we can do something about it and exercising that kind of self-discipline that moves us out of ankle length, splashing around in the shallows to where we get deeper. We need to we need to go deeper into this stream in the area of the patience that we exhibit toward others. That really is, I think, a gift of, of age. Patience that is able to develop in the realization that folks are sometimes not nearly as bad as we imagine them to be at younger times. To be patient with folks' slowness to come to an understanding of maybe truths or positions that God has allowed us to have for some time. We need patience. We need to go deeper in prayer. The prayer life for most of us, I'm afraid, is pretty shallow. There are folks who go to their graves having lived seven, eight decades, whose prayer life still consists of, now I lay me down to sleep kind of praying to go deeper in our own personal discipline of prayer life prayer is not an easy thing prayer is not a natural thing the devil works overtime to keep the children of God from being in contact with God to find the quiet place to to have the quiet time to be with God, to talk with God, to bear our souls before God, and to be patient long enough to let God in turn give us impressions of his will and wisdom. It's hard to find the quiet place and the quiet time. But you and I, if we really analyze our lives and realize how much we kick around in the shallows of prayer life. Let old Ezekiel say something to you this morning. You need to go deeper. And if you've been kicking around in your prayer life is just down there at ankle height, why don't you determine right now I'm going to go deeper in my prayer life. I want it to Waters to come up around my knees. I want to feel the splash of the waters around my waist. I want to be able to live long enough to be able to swim in the great rivers of prayer. Prayer. A number of years ago, when I was in India, I was in the town of Derudun, a northern town right in the foothills of the Himalayas and out of Daradun, not too far, went up into a little village where the great Englishman George Mueller had established a children's home. He never once, it is said, he never once asked anybody for a single penny to operate that orphan's home. When there was need, he went to his knees and he asked the Father. And the Father always provided. I ought to learn to be on that kind of relationship with God to have your prayer life that has developed to the point that you're swimming around in the rivers of prayer. And then when you pray, you know something's going to happen. Some wonderful years in Memphis as associate pastor with dr. Robert G Lee early years of my ministry and there was Jesse Parker who was a member of our church and the common saying around Bellevue in those early early days if you've really got something that you need to be prayed about Go ask Jesse to pray for you. A woman of prayer. Isn't it great to have a <laughs> have a handle like that? Isn't it great to have a nickname like that to be known as a prayer? who's on such good terms with God that even when you get a no, it's a definitive no and you go your way if the desert desert is ever to bloom we must go deeper we must go deeper in our compassion for the lost it's not enough for us to simply ask others to go or to give our money that others might go and tell and preach but there are a lot of people who are living in the desert that are right close by us and if they're ever to see any blossoms and blooms in their deserts of alienation from God and the sin of their lives, it'll be because you and I are willing to take a chance on God, swallow our pride, swallow our lack of knowledge of of whatever it is, but to say a word for Jesus, and to dig a little tunnel, to dig a little coolie, as we say down in some parts of the South, So that the water can flow out and touch lives that are living in deserts. Here is a picture of what God wants to happen, I believe, all over this world. That one by one, individually, that we catch that picture, we catch that vision, and that we see that indeed, from wherever we are, from whatever depth of the spiritual experience that's ours from whatever level of the spiritual life that we're now living, that there is something beyond, there is a deeper bit of water beyond, and it needs to be our concern and our prayer and our interest that we be deeper tonight in the swim of things than we are this morning. And that by the time we get home and that next week, that we will be swimming in deeper waters than we were when we came and the folks who work with you at church and the folks at home are going to be start to scratch their heads and say what in the world happened to her last week what in the world happened to him last week because they're going to see that you are in a deeper experience with God from a conscious desire that as the river gets deeper and broader, you've left wherever you've been living and you're out in the deeper part. Where the river flows, the desert blooms, Wherever there is a point of desert in your life this morning, let the water flow. Don't give any excuses. Don't close the doors and the windows, but open them up. And bid the waters of God to flow into whatever is the desert point of your life. And kick that water around and splash in it and play in it and get on out where you can swim in the waters that God provides for where the waters flow the desert blooms dear father in heaven for every part of this word that you have given us we thank you thank you for including in this book that you have written and preserved and brought To us this 47th chapter of Ezekiel's prophecy and father help us to learn the lesson that you that you want us you want us to be bigger than we have been that you want us to know more than we have ever known that you want us to love more than we have ever loved that you want us to have more compassion than we've ever had and that you want to be with us more than we have been willing to be with you. Father, help us. Help us to make it possible so that the channels of the living water can flow from the temple where you reign out to the desert places that are around us and around the world. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for the new joys and the new victories and the new experiences and the new depth of the spiritual life that you let us move into in these days. In Jesus' name we pray, with thanksgiving. Amen.